0: So when it comes to building a business or a personal brand, what are some of the fundamental things that we need to look at in order to capture people's attention?
1: I mean, the very, very first thing is to understand how attention works, which was why I wrote the book in the first place. There's all this research out there, decades, centuries of research on attention and memory, but it had never been coalesced into something that could be uh, like consumed by everyone.
0: I've learned so much over this first year of podcasting. And I wanted to share with you guys the 10 most life-changing lessons that I've learned this year. So I created a document and it's on my website. What you're going to do, you're going to go there. It's going to be 10 life-changing lessons. Click on that button. It'll ask for your email address so I can email it to you sign up for it because these life lessons radically changed the way I viewed my life and the way I started living. It helped me to get better in the areas that I've so desperately wanted to see progress and growth in. And because I know they helped me, I really believe that they will help you. And I wanted this to be a gift for you guys. So I really hope you enjoy this gift and go to the website, thewholepersonpodcast.com to get it. It's free, and I hope you guys enjoy and learn as much as I did from it. Welcome to the Whole Person Podcast. I am your host, Evan Herman. And today we have none other than Ben Parr. Now you might be wondering, who is exactly Ben Parr? Well, to be honest, he's an American journalist, author, venture capitalist, and entrepreneur. He wrote the best-selling book, *Captiveology*, And I'm super excited to talk to him about it because it talks about How to Keep and Attract People's Attention. Not only that, but I was actually reading in his bio over here, and he created a group, a campaign to protest the launch of Facebook news feed features so that you and I could have more privacy and protection through social media. So welcome to the show, Ben Parr.
1: thank (laughs) Thank you for having me. Well, we're going to have to talk about the, the Students Against Facebook newsfeed protest. That's its own story.
0: Yeah, tell me real quick.
1: Oh, goodness. I was a junior at Northwestern um, where I went to college. And they launched this new product called the newsfeed. You may have heard of it. Mm-hmm. And, and when they first launched, it showed all the people who broke up, who got together. I didn't like it. A bunch of friends didn't like it. And I'm like, I'm going to make a group about it. And then I told a couple internet friends about the group. I called the students against Facebook newsfeed. I left because I was training to be a resident assistant uh, at that time. And then at noon, I got a call from my friends like, Ben, Ben, have you looked at Facebook? I'm like, no. And it's like, they, I looked and there was 10,000 people in the group. The newsfeed had promoted it. And by the end of the day, 100,000 people had joined. And at this time, this was there were 7.5 million people on Facebook. By the end of that week, there was 750,000 people in my Facebook group. and. I was getting messages every day. I got two proposals, some other ridiculous stuff. Um, eventually, Facebook made changes to improve the privacy, which was the only goal not to shut it down, to shut down newsfeed, but to get privacy. Mm-hmm. And then um, yeah, next the next week, I actually got an email from Mark himself. And, you know, we had a chat afterwards about Facebook, how to improve it. It was very nice and very kind of him um about the future of Facebook and how to like improve it and so ever since then I've had a relationship with Facebook and when I became the editor at Mashable my very first assignment was to go to Facebook's new offices and that's when I met uh Mark in person I think he just laughed a little bit when he met me he's like ah you've joined the other side so full
0: circle that's funny well that's really that's a really really cool story it, you know I mean you got his attention you know. So, yes, that I
1: did.
0: <laughs> well, Ben, you know, as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I feel like I often struggle with, whether it's through the podcast or in my own business, is being able to captivate people to get their attention. And when, you know, I first met you and heard about the book, I was like, yeah, I got to talk to this guy. You know, so when it comes to building a business or a personal brand, What are some of the fundamental things that we need to look at in order to capture people's attention?
1: I mean, the very, very first thing is to understand how attention works, which was why I wrote the book in the first place. There's all this research out there, decades, centuries of research on attention and memory, but it never been coalesced into something that could be... uh, like consumed by everyone to really understand. And so as an example, most people think of attention as an on-off switch. You're paying attention, you're not paying attention. When really it's a progression. And in the book, I call it the three stages of attention or the bonfire of attention. And I talk about like how when you build a bonfire, you don't start with a giant bonfire, you start with you know ignition of spark and then you put on kindling and you build up the fire until you can build a bonfire that burns on its own for the entire night. And attention works the same way where You have immediate attention, which captures your attention, immediate interest, like you hear a sound of a gunshot, you hear something like that. It's automatic, it's the defense mechanism, you need to have it, Uh, but it's not the end of attention. There's short attention, short-term memory, really, you know, like that paying attention to a book or paying attention to a movie or something like that. And then there's the most important and not the least understood, which is long attention, which is long-term interest, long-term memory. The it's the difference between somebody going and like buying your product after they see an ad versus you know Apple, where they just announce a product and there's a line around the street to go and buy it. It's the ability to build attention over time. You can't skip a step. You got to build that progression, and then you have to just understand what are the triggers that actually capture it. And there's a lot of science, and there's a lot of things that capture attention, especially subconsciously and unconsciously, in ways that we both wouldn't expect. And in ways that are almost a little bit, that are both amazing and a little bit scary. But once you understand how attention works, you'll know both like how to capture attention and how to, you know, control your own attention and understand why are certain things really appealing to you.
0: Interesting. You know, I think when I look at this subject, I think in terms of my own attention too, and what captures it, and even what cravings through food get produced from it, so like I have a subway right around the corner, and every once in a while you know i 'll just start getting that craving for a specific sandwich it 's uh the oh golly, what is it called now spicy Italian sandwich you know it 's the pepperoni it 's the salami, you know all that stuff, but it it 's almost as if it was conditioned almost because I do see a lot of subway ads when when I watch stuff or either because I drive by it all the time. And so for those of us who don't have the marketing budget to get in front of people and to captivate their attention, how can we go about in a small way to, to start?
1: Oof. There's there's probably a hundred different ways we could even go. So go for uh, that. let's start, let, let's just start even with the first trigger. So there's seven triggers in my book and You know, I go in depth into the science of each one. The first one's automaticity. And it's that we just automatically pay attention to certain sights, sounds, and colors. And so, like, there's some crazy science where, as an example, if you wear the color red on a date, on average, the opposite gender will sit six inches closer to you than they would otherwise. And it's entirely subconscious. And it's because of all the association we have in Western culture in particular between red and romanticism. It's a different color in different cultures. That's something you have to think about. And so just the simple, like what the branding and the colors are can have a dramatic impact on how people uh, view your brand and think about your brand. You know, there's, if you have a luxury brand, you really want to be incorporating blacks, for example, because black is associated with luxury. If you're really trying to associate it with um, passion, red, but there's like a whole set of color we'll talk about in the book too. But it's just like really understanding what your audience is doing there, and then I would say one other one other one that might be more even more relevant than like your branding would be the disruption trigger, which is one of the most powerful triggers in captivology, which is that we pay attention to the people and things that violate our expectations, and this is the reason why when someone makes a super controversial statement, or if you were walking out your door and you just saw a giant uh, car, a small car and a bunch of clouds are coming out of it, you'd just pay attention because that just violates your expectations of how the world normally works. And as a result, you have to pay attention and you pay attention to it because subconsciously things that are outside the norms are either food, like rustling the leaves or they're threats. It's like a saber tooth tiger or something crawling out. We don't have those things anymore, but that hard wiring is still in our psychology and in our brains. And so we pay attention to those things. And so you need to find a way that violates our expectations. Maybe it is like a, a, a campaign a viral uh a post or something like that taking a statement that does violate expectations but fits within your brand so you know for example if mm, I, I, you know what you use the subway example so i will use an example let's, from let's the just, books
0: let's just do this let's use real estate because that's what i'm in
1: mm-hmm. so oh
0: yeah
1: <laughs> go ahead no so like um the thing about like like let me i'm gonna i have to do both examples so like, I, I have to do the Quiznos examples because it gives us a very clear one and then we're gonna talk real estate because I would be super, gotta dive deep. So Quiznos went bankrupt, you know, you don't talk about them, we talk about Subway, right? But in the early days they were trying to do these ads where they would have like these weird freaky looking monster things like dancing around food to talk about it. Did it capture attention? Yes. Did it drive sales? No, because it didn't fit with the brand. You don't want to have like ugly monster things promoting food. You need to have things that promote like the tastiness of food, of that sort of thing, and so violating expectations and work in that case. But it works when it's you know synergistic or whatever word you want to use with your brand. I mean, for a, you know in real estate, I think that entirely depends on which area, right? Because I'm thinking, I just moved, for example, into like a new building, and I'm like thinking about like how did they go and capture my attention, and I think the answer is probably actually there's like is all the little things in addition to like the big things so like every building is like comparable buildings are generally the same you know and there's like things like location and that but there's always like little touches like little decorations little things like that that in the eye of your periphery that you notice that capture attention you know uh more profoundly and it's because maybe it's just something that's little like an extra hanging plant or it's just some little cool thing that makes you remember them a little bit more, even though it's such a like it's not gonna, it shouldn't have any impact in your decision because you're not gonna like care about it much. But it makes you think, oh, they must care about the little details, or I remember them because of that. That's like just like a little something. Like, what's gonna be the memorability? You're a real estate agent, for example. What's a little thing that's gonna help them remember you compared to like all the others they may speak with? You know, the people don't have that much room in their short-term memory. You have to have like, what's a one thing you really want them to go and take away or just like the one thing you want them to go and remember about you. So they're like, Oh yeah, the guy, the gal who had the blend, right. Even like having something simple like that is going to help them remember you and like then remember the rest of the conversation they had with you.
0: Makes sense. So in terms of once you capture someone's short term attention how do you, you know, you said you created the spark, now the kindling. Because you know, I'm thinking in terms of real estate or a podcast, something, you know, in a small business capacity, how do I move the ball forward to keep the people wanting to come back?
1: So... Oh, there's a bunch of different ways here. So let's talk about some of the middle triggers in the book. So one we were kind of talking a little bit about, which is the reward trigger. And so the reward trigger is the fact that we really pay attention to things that provide us with intrinsic and extrinsic rewards. Again, hard wiring, but it provides for longer term interest and loyalty. This is like, you know, there's some simple things like miles programs, airlines, point systems things like that but rewards come in all sorts of shapes flavors and sizes and so you know in general you need to be offering both in order to capture long-term retention you know in real estate as like a specific as an example you need to offer some extrinsic rewards that's probably something like like a discount and money. Like, you know, you see every apartment building do some kind of thing, like a, like a month free or something. That's the extrinsic reward. You're going to get some money. You're going to get some savings. Right. But that's not enough, but you do need to have something. Then there's the like intrinsic reward, the feeling of like self-worth or satisfaction. It's an internal feeling that you're trying to give. So like in the job market, for example, you need to offer, you know, the right pay or salary or bonus but you also need to offer those intrinsic awards like, you know, rewarding work or that kind of like unique benefit that really captures their like that makes them feel better. Like one that we do at Oxygen, the company I co-founded that's backed by General Catalyst, is we do something called Paid, Paid Vacation, which is really popular at our company where like there's an intrinsic award, which is like you get a thousand dollars if you take a week vacation to board. And we're trying to encourage people to take vacations. We think people perform better when they actually take their vacations. But there's like an intrinsic reward of, you know, we really care about people's mental health and wellness. and We really want them to be super refreshed, and We really encourage people to take vacations. And that's not something that's true in a lot of places. So they remember it because it's a little bit disruptive. And, but more importantly, it's like an intrinsic reward of like self-satisfaction. I'm really satisfied at the place that I work. That's just like little things like that where you can like combine some of the triggers really do have a pronounced impact.
0: Mm-hmm. And so in terms of small business, maybe not just even clients, but maybe like a referral program that rewards people for re- referrals, basically.
1: Yes, but to use the trigger properly as an example, it shouldn't be just money. Here's a $1,000 per. Right. You could do something like a special access, something like, you know, we're going to like, I am gonna we're having, you know, thank you for being one of our like, you know, top referral refers or something like that. We're having a special dinner just for, just for you all for the top eight or something like that and so like it's an intrinsic kind of thing where it's like you know community reward uh something that goes beyond money that makes them feel like oh this person cares i get to like have that like feeling of being um rewarded for the like work that i'm doing intrinsically and there's just a lot of interesting ways in which to go and do it but you have to always hit the extrinsic and the intrinsic reward for maximum effect one or the other is often not is is only going to get you so far you want to have like both in order to reach the maximum there's just creativity here is really really helpful you're like doing a referral program or something like that just like some kind of like creative thing that especially someone would never pay for, it for themselves right so like this is where you'd like see where like people have like a small sales team it's not just about the money, but like people might not buy themselves an AirPod or a flamethrower if you want to have a, like a crazy one, and like an Elon Musk flamethrower, but they kind of want it. And so if you're like, this is a thing that you would never have bought for yourself, but because you perform so well or because like you joined this program, this is what I'm getting you. That's going to have an impact on them.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. What is, what is the framing trigger?
1: So the framing trigger, and this has been especially, uh, I think, pronounced in terms of its impact over the last like five, six years, is the fact that we pay attention to things that fall within our frame of reference and tend to ignore things that fall outside of it. And like the classic, like, most clear-cut example is politics. And so your politics really determine what you pay attention to, what you agree with, and what you don't like regardless of logic in a lot of cases, right? If you are one side of the climate debate, for example, or the other, you're going to really quickly dismiss, you know, information or uh, research or opinions that don't conform with like that, like peace and worldview. It's really hard to go and break it. And so if you're someone who's trying to maybe convince someone uh, who's outside of that frame of reference, you either have to adapt to the frame of reference to really understand what is a frame of reference. You know, maybe it's the, like, maybe it's in a small business, it might be something around, it could be politics, but it might be something around like their upbringing or their location or something like that and adapt to it, right? Like if you have an understanding of someone's culinary style, you might want to go and adapt to like, oh, they're from, they're from New Orleans. I want to make sure that there's some like jambalaya or something like that. Or you have to, you know, the other way in which to like, to get their attention and framing is to find a way to break the frame of reference, which is a much harder thing. I do an example of a an entrepreneur from the early 1900s, uh, and she helped invent deodorant and antiperspirant, but people wouldn't buy it because uh, people didn't want to talk about bodily fluids people were like it was like not ladylike to go talk about such things and so she broke the frame of reference by putting out a very direct ad in the ladies home journal which at the time was one of the largest magazines around talking just straight up about like bottle foods and being like you don't have to smell bad you have a fix for it it's called odor oh no which was the name of the product um and hundreds of women canceled their ladies home journal subscriptions and protested the ad which is like crazy when you think about it now but the ad didn't stop. like sales of odorono oh and sales of deodorant in general skyrocketed and the result of that is people just paid a lot more attention and it created an entire marketing industry it's especially helpful when you're trying to build an entire like industry get people to like adopt something that maybe is on the early end of a trend you want to find a way to like break their expectations, break the frame of reference. Um, and sometimes it just means like a, a, a direct way like that. Other times you want to go and adapt to the frame of reference and really understand who is this consumer? What are they trying to do? What are the things that are going to resonate with them? This just, again, depends on, you know, what you're trying to accomplish as an entrepreneur.
0: That makes sense. And even in times, uh, so for example, right now in our real estate market, you know, I'm framing this to, to where I'm at. The same people that I would have reached out to two or three years ago are probably different now than they were then, just because, you know, people are dealing with COVID, people are dealing with job losses. So I would have to be more strategic in the person who I'm going after and how I would even niche down further to be able to do that.
1: So it's interesting because the frame of reference for let's we'll specifically talk real estate for just a couple of minutes. The frame of reference of real estate and home buying, as a specific example, is really changed. And obviously, real estate has a bunch of different verticals. You're talking about like reach. You're talking about like uh, like offices. I'm gonna talk about homes just as a given one example, right? House market is really hot, especially in specific areas and locations. And so consumers probably have two main frame of references around it now. They're either like, it's too hot, it's gonna go down at some point, I'm gonna try to wait it out. Or the frame of reference is, it's hot, it's not gonna be slowing down anytime soon. If I wanna get this house, I need to go and do it now. And I need to like, you know, the frame of references come to the point where people can go and look very quickly at a house and know that they need to make an offer that day because there's probably eight to 10 other offers. I've seen this happen over and over again. I'm in LA right now, and it's just happening all across here. It's happening all across Miami, Austin. A lot of things where people have moved over in the last year. Um, and so with that frame of reference, you, know, you have to go and adapt. Like Advantageous, in, I think, in, to some people in real estate, you have to be like, look, like time pressure will work better in that case because they know in their frame of reference that there is a time pressure versus being like, you know, if you even told someone it's like, you know, you have a couple of weeks to go and decide, they're going to think, Oh, this is not something that's people are really wanting. There must be something wrong. You've like, that's not positive the frame of reference, even though I would love to have more time to go and consider. And maybe that that's the reality. Uh, you can't go and say that and expect a deal to close properly because of the frame of reference.
0: That makes sense. So once we've captured people's attention and We've been able to build a little bit more about it. Then it's, you know, how do we get them to come back? How, how do we get them to refer us? How do we get them to, to want to continue to talk about our product?
1: Right. And so there's a couple of triggers here too. We already talked about, like, I think we talked a lot about reward. Right. Like there is like some unique way in which to like reward people who are consistently referring beyond here's some money. There's some unique experience, some unique thing, something that they're going to remember forever. But in the end, the final trigger is always the strongest, which is, um, so it's called the acknowledgement trigger. And it's the fact that we pay attention to the people and things that pay attention to us and provide us with understanding and empathy and recognition. And so this is just, again, very fundamental to human nature where we are always looking for our tribe and we're looking for uh, people who really and companies and things that acknowledge us and understand us, and this is where, like for example, you can feel a super strong relationship to a specific celebrity, even though you've probably never met that celebrity before. You just talk to like a Taylor Swift fan or a Dua Lipa fan. Like there is some intense loyalty, despite the fact that in the parasocial relationship, she does not, neither of them know who you are, and like probably never will know, but you feel like you know them maybe even better than your family. And this is just true for a lot of people. And so you want to be able to build this like uh, acknowledgement. And so in, in the like small business setting, you know, a lot of it's going to really be that one-on-one. Like you can, like there's two types. There's the one-on-one, there's the parasocial. Parasocial means like one to many. I'm a celebrity. I have a large relationship with thousands of fans, even though they don't know me, that's a parasocial relationship versus the one to one, we know each other. We're talking. We're having those conversations, and so you know, investing in those relationships, which might just mean like getting that coffee in person. Now that COVID is like, people are getting vaccines and things like that. That's like something that I'm investing a lot of time in over the next three to six months, um, and like providing like that like acknowledgement and empathy. There's and there's just like lots of ways to go and do it, both like in one on one, but also at scale. You're trying to acknowledge customers. I'll give you like an old example, which is. Gary Vaynerchuk, a friend, you know, he uh, would have like, he did one of his famous Twitter things and someone asked for some eggs. And so he bought a bunch of eggs and he had it all delivered to his house that day. And he, like, the guy posted photos of it. And so like by showing, he didn't give eggs to everybody, but he showed by doing it for one person that he would be willing to do it for everybody. He showed acknowledgement to his audience, which kind of amplified things. And it was also disruptive because no one expects to get a giant order of eggs from a celebrity of any kind. And so that disrupted people's expectations. And that was like a double whammy of like showing they cared and by having expectations, perfect, like masterclass and building positive attention.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And so by doing that, so live in such a way is what you're saying to that people who are somewhat paying attention to you feel like they can get to know you through either one on one relationship networking, which is in probably a smaller entrepreneurial role but say for podcasting, do it in such a way that those that are listening feel and believe, which would be authentic, that you care about them and that you want to connect with them. Am I understanding you correctly?
1: Yeah. There's probably a bunch of random, like interesting ways. Like, this is where you get really creative, right? Because you could be acknowledging some, just even simply acknowledging a member of an audience, in a podcast in some section of a podcast it could be like there's a special reader edition of the podcast there could be like answering someone's question you know from the audience and in the podcast so like the little things like that add up and people recognize it and they don't have to actually be the one the subject of it to know that the audience is getting knowledge, and the audience cares in the realm of like say like more local like your local real estate agents you know people talk so you give like a sim- like a unique gift to somebody because they were super loyal or that you know uh, they you helped them you helped them close a house and you gave them like a special gift and it was unique. Does not just like here's like a champagne, but it could be like you, this is where again where you get creative. Maybe you know something about them where they would really like. They're going to talk about that. They're going to remember you long after, and they'll be much more likely to refer because that endpoint is. they got me this amazing gift, but maybe it cost you 50 bucks, but, or like, but it's going to be worth many thousands to you by doing it. It's like that little extra, like, again, that little extra touch, that little extra detail that can elevate some, like how a person thinks about you and people talk to other people and that compounds over time.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So what questions have I not asked you that I probably should have by now with the subject?
1: Well, so there's a, there's a couple others. So just like on the trigger side, uh, okay. One other trigger do you want to talk about, which is, um, so the reputation trigger and this is the fact that we pay attention to people who we consider reputable. So there's kind of a couple different areas where this really amplifies. So there are three types of reputable sources of information and we tend to pay over amounts of attention to it. The uh, first one is authority figures and we pay attention to them because they have power over us. It's the uh, least acknowledgement related of the of these reputation like figures. The second one is the crowd. And that one's really powerful, especially if you're in a business where, like, like your restaurant, you know the power of this because Yelp reviews, Google reviews, they can make or break you. Having that little, investing a little bit extra to like get that extra half a star can make a dramatic difference. Like there was like studies that showed that like an extra half a star would increase you know your foot traffic by some ridiculous percent. And getting that is just like those little again those little extra touches is like even sometimes just asking for the review from like. You know, someone had a positive experience. You know, the, those little things really do add up over time and really add up to a lot of business over time. And then the last one is the most powerful, which is experts and people just listen and trust to experts. If, you know, another major podcaster recommends your podcast, you're going to have a giant piece of traffic because they're an expert and people listen to that person and listen to that person's opinions. If, you know, if a restaurant critic gives like a specific, like, positive recommendation, you're gonna get a, a lot more business. And some of these things you may not be able to control, but a bunch you can control because, an example, you're doing an advertising campaign. Rather than you, the CEO, going on like camera and talking about a thing, CEOs are actually among the least trusted uh, of figures on behalf of a company, according to Edelman Trust Survey. Uh, experts, both academic and just like technical, are the most trusted, and so if you can have someone like that representing you in a campaign, for example, you're going to have a much better like time, and it's going to work a lot better. And like people want to get on the camera and like like talk about their own thing, but the truth is, like like an example of mine, like yes, I'll go talk about like my company, Option AI, on podcasts and things like that. But when my customers go and talk about us, it makes a much more profound impact. Like, my customers care a lot more about that. And I try to encourage that and like facilitate that as much as possible.
0: That's awesome, man. Now I want to shift gears a little bit, cause we've talked a lot about the book. Now I want to talk about you specifically and what you're doing. You know, you used to be, um, I was it an editor at Mashable. Yeah. Editor at yep. Lark, Mashable. And then you currently, you just mentioned the name of your company. You said it is Octane, correct?
1: Yep. Octane AI.
0: Octane AI. That's a mouthful for me to say. <laughs> Octane Artificial Intelligence. Oh, no, that makes I, sense now. Okay, now I... Yeah. So what what is that company and what are you currently doing? I, I know, but I want the audience to know and I want you to tell them.
1: So just to get like, yeah. The, you gave us some quick background for everyone. like my original claim to fame, right? I was co-editor of Mashable, wrote all these articles, got to build all these relationships, did investing on behalf of celebrities and others, which is super interesting. But I had, never, I had always wanted to, like, you know, both build, like, like, I always have the entrepreneurial edge since, like, I was young. I helped start the entrepreneurship student groups at Northwestern and the entrepreneurship programs uh, back in the early days. But Octanei, you know, it's been a very different kind of base. We're, like, much bigger now. There is. Um, what we do is we power the personalization and the conversational commerce for thousands of e-commerce brands, especially brands that you shopify. So we're helping these entrepreneurs these small business owners who have started their stores, like drive more sales and get to know their customers. We have a set of products that do that. Our best known ones are our shop quiz, which is like allowing you to build a dynamic quiz that learns about customers, make recommendations, big in beauty, big in fashion, big in a lot of industries. Um, and then use that information to, to deliver a more personalized experience. So instead of like emailing all of your customers the same email blast about your new skincare line, you can segment it based on oh, they have dry skin, they have oily skin, they're gonna want very different products. I can go and provide a more personalized and tailored experience over email, over SMS, over Facebook Messenger. And so, like, we power that like segmentation, we power direct conversations over Facebook Messenger and over SMS channels that. People are using a lot more than even email in a lot of cases. Um, And a new set of products around that that will help deliver more personalized experiences. So that's like what I've been up to. We built an amazing team. We raised money from general Catalyst and a lot of other awesome investors. And uh, it's been a crazy journey. We grew a lot in the last year in particular.
0: It's awesome, man. And from my perception, it seems like you have... Your finger or, or thumbprint here, kind of on like the pulse of what's coming, just in general, in culture and in society. Whether that's uh, just through some of your investing stuff. So here's, I guess, here's a question that that I've really struggled with myself, and it's how do I become someone who's more aware of some of the trends that are getting ready to come, so that I can catch that wave. And participate in it in early.
1: Oh, that one. That one's the that one's a multi-billion-dollar question. That's, what, <laughs> that's literally that is literally what VCs do every single day. Uh, and so there's no simple way to do it. I will say one thing that I remember that I know that uh, Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the big VC firms that backed Airbnb and Coinbase, for example, does, which is they'll like have someone they'll talk have someone talk to a lot of companies and people in different verticals and industries, and you just have to have a lot of conversations. But they'll talk when they talk with like maybe a founder of a startup, and they ask like you know like, uh, what are these like customers doing today? Like what are the competitors? And you know you've had something really new when they're like you're like just no one's really been doing this yet. This is just like completely brand new. Then you start to know like okay. This is like so cutting edge that really it hasn't truly been done yet. And so you have to go and uh, dive deeper. But really, it's a lot of conversations with a lot of people. I would say like you can't start from like, I'm going to go and look into every vertical in every industry. There's just going to be certain topics you're more interested in or not. And then if you just talk to it, like say you're trying to figure out a new business, maybe – I would be talking and having coffee with a lot of people in that area. Like what are their pain points, especially what's going on? Like what's the big trend that you've been seeing happening in this area of vertical. I talk with customers, my customers and stores and e-commerce all the time, and I'm learning about new trends and things that they care about. And like they're thinking over the next decade. And that helps inform my thinking and like our product roadmap. Um, it is, you can't predict a wave. Not entirely, but you can get a sense of where are some certain trends and where are some certain pain points. And I would be really focused on what is the real pain point for this area that I'm interested in? What's actually causing them to lose money or really causing them to uh, lose time? And if you can go and pinpoint those th- one of those things, and there's no real strong solution, or you can provide a much better solution. Then you maybe have gotten onto something. It just takes a lot of conversations to figure it out. And even after you build something, a lot of conversations with customers. This is the one thing that you should just be doing all the time, no matter what vertical or industry is just like talking to your prospective customers and to your actual customers.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's good. Then I have a, a set of three questions that I ask each Guest, before we end the conversation, but I'm gonna I'm gonna actually add a fourth one, and I want to start off with it. Okay, mm-hmm. what what is your superpower?
1: I have several, but the one that first came to mind, which I haven't really been able to use in the last year, but uh, that's all right because we've been building a company. Uh, is you can throw me into a room of complete strangers. And I can learn, I can, I can become like work that room, become friends with a bunch of people. It's been very helpful for speaking or things like that. I think just, again, I learn a lot by just having conversations with people. I like formulate my like theses by having conversations with a lot of people and by doing, you know, more opportunities to do that the more I gain knowledge, the more I learn, the more I can connect the dots where like someone's talking about this, like one new trend, someone's talking about this other new trend and I can see where the connection points are. So like, that's one of my superpowers. I have others, but that one immediately came to mind, especially as like, over the next couple of months, you can probably, hopefully can see more people in person.
0: Yeah, well, that's, that's actually a really good superpower to have. So, okay. So what is the best decision you've ever made?
1: Oh, there's so many superlatives. Cause you're like, uh, I I mean, I'll give a business and I'll give a person like in a business is like co-founding, starting Octane AI with my co-founders. We know it's been an incredible experience and the business has grown so much, but you know, not super clear it was ever going to go and succeed. And even if it hadn't succeeded or wasn't like on that path, I still think it would have been a really good decision. There's more learning I've had in the last couple of years than I've had in like lifetimes. Um, I also got very lucky with the decision to join Mashable that launched and started my career. And then like on the personal, you know, I, you know, choosing the right partner, having someone who's very supportive and understands you, that's just like, that. that's like an easy answer, I guess, but I think a really important answer.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think choosing the right partner is huge to... Success. In terms of negative self talk, what do you currently struggle with?
1: So I it's interesting because I have this conversation with my with with my girlfriend where I tend to oh like I, I tend to say be too confident in like my assumptions about things and like they may not be based on enough information to be super confident about that. It's the, kind of like the opposite of what you're asking, but it's an issue that I personally have that I try to think about and try to be like cognizant. Like, do I actually have enough information to be this confident about my opinion? What's my opinion level? I'm still not great at it, but I've been trying to get better. There's certain areas where like, I know, I know myself inside and out technology, commerce, other areas, but I need And Of course, like the psychology of attention, but there's other areas where maybe I haven't done that kind of research and that level of depth. And so myself giving a very like strong opinion, uh, I should like like take more thought in, or at least give some context of like you know based on what I've learned so far, and you know I still have a lot more research to do. This is like the trend that I'm starting to see. You know, that's like a thing I think about. I think also you know sometimes I've actually been told like you know sometimes I'm not as good at taking a compliment as I. As I should be, but I think look, you know, like we all have like different kind, of like levels of doubt, and everyone has like a different kind of thing. Mine can be like overconfidence. Others can be, you know, like just finding like a little way to like prick. But I just try to like celebrate, like I made an achievement here, did some kind of thing. It's just really good in and of itself, and I can go and like debrief on it later and try to figure out like what could be better or what could be a thing. But like, it happened. An event happened. Um. Uh, oh, funding round happened or whatever happened, you know, like that's much better than whatever the alternative was. And so it did really well. And you just got to enjoy that moment before you go into, okay, now how can we do that better with the plan for the next step?
0: That makes sense. All right. Last one. This is probably my favorite one. What brings you peace?
1: I, like you said before, I think it's all about like the little moments and enjoying those little little moments. And that's like, I get peace. It's like just watching a sunset, enjoying the like delicious bite, you know, laying on a bed and like feeling, feeling a breeze, you know, I think it's just like trying to appreciate those little moments. And those things give me a lot of peace where I'm like, life is not like, life can be hard, but life can also be amazing. And a lot of amazing is not like I did this giant crazy thing, but just like the little micro moments and just savoring them as much and being like, you know, I got to see like wild, a wild horse in Hawaii. That's like crazy. It was beautiful. It was amazing. Or just like literally just staring out to an ocean with no thoughts in my head. It's just beautiful. It's just amazing. And you can find those almost anywhere. You find something that was just you know, more delicious than you expected and enjoying it for a second. That gives me a lot of peace. Just like life is amazing. And you just got to look for those little micro
0: moments. That's awesome. Um, As we're wrapping this up here, where can people follow you at?
1: So you can follow me at Ben Parr, B-E-N-P-A-R-R at literally every social network. Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, Google, whatever the thing is at Ben Parr. Uh, So go follow me on all of those. And then my company, Octane AI at O-C-T-A-N-E-A-I on all the networks and everywhere else. And then to get Captivology, if you're interested, just search Captivology on Amazon or any major bookstore or just bit.ly slash Captivology. Easy to find the book. Have them have my face on it.
0: <laughs> I love that cover, by the
1: way. I mean, I didn't, it's funny because I didn't pick that cover. It was the suggestion of the publisher. And so they had me do a whole photo shoot for the photo and they had me like hang up, sit down for monkey bars. They had like makeup all for one photo for four hours, uh, four or five hours for just one photo, which I'm pretty sure the actors and models and uh, face fronting people of the world will understand.
0: (laughs) That's funny. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having
1: me. It's super, super awesome to talk about uh, attention and just to talk about entrepreneurship. And definitely anyone who's listening, just tweet me. You're like, I'm trying to figure something out. I'm looking at my tweets.
0: When I started this podcast, it was important for me to lead by example that I wouldn't hide behind a fake mask acting like I've arrived and speaking from the mountaintop. My whole purpose was to be vulnerable about where I was, my failures, my struggles, and my successes, so that I could be a bridge, that I could be a gap in this process of showing people how to change in the areas of faith, family, finances, friendship, fitness, and fun, because that's exactly where I'm at and what I'm doing. And I had a coach years ago, and he was the first coach I've ever had, and he did it for a very affordable rate because I couldn't afford anything more than what he offered me. But he told me this, Evan, someday you're going to get in a spot where you're going to be able to give back to others. And I want you to remember what I'm doing for you here and now. That it's made affordable so that you can actually go through it. He goes, I believe in you and I trust that you'll do this. And so because of that, it resonated within me that at a certain point when I felt I've had enough hard knocks that I had something to offer other people. I would start a coaching program. And this is that. I am now starting a coaching program and I'm gonna make it affordable because by the graces of someone else that helped me out when I was first starting my journey, I wanted to do the same for other people. So I'm gonna offer a free 15-minute coaching phone call to anyone that wants it. You can go to the website the wholepersonpodcast.com and sign up for that free coaching phone call. And if you're looking to have a longer extended coaching relationship outside of that first 15 minute phone call. I have the prices right up front. I'm open about it. And I'd be more than happy to see if we'd work well with one another and can help you reach and achieve the goals that you have in life. Guys, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the show.